Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletop from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Boston is Matt Kelly. Matt is editor and CEO of Radical Compliance, and he joins us once again to do what he did at the end of 2022 and give us a wrap up on what the big stories were for the year. Matt, thanks for joining us again. It's always good to have this conversation. Uh, let's start with one of the bigger issues, um, which is FCPA. The Foreign Car Practices Act is a big driver of compliance programs, uh, both in the U.S. and around the world. What's new there? Well, Adam, uh, first, thank you for having me on. I thought what was interesting was um, probably two big things. First, we all started 2023 thinking that the FCPA enforcement would keep going as usual. And then for a long time, it really didn't from the Justice Department. We had a lot of cases, in FCPA terms at least, coming from the Securities and Exchange Commission, but almost no cases for at least the first half of 2023 from the Justice Department. And then toward the end, we had more what I will call significant types of cases and policy announcements from the Justice Department that kind of caught back up to everybody being interested in what was going on. For example, there was the Albemarle case where they settled a significant enforcement action, but rather than the fines, which there's always big fines, rather than talking about the third parties that were involved in misconduct, because they're always involved, um, I was more struck that part of the settlement was that Albemarle had to restructure its whole overseas sales to get rid of distributors, get rid of um, resellers, dramatically scale down the intermediaries and only use direct sales. And that is a big structural change that you can't undo. And that I thought was like the sort of what I mean when I say it was a significant case that that doesn't happen unless the board is directly involved in saying, we are going to restructure ourselves for better FCPA compliance. I think we will see more of those structural, irreversible changes to business operations for better business conduct. We're gonna see more of those cases, even if the total volume might trail downward. Uh, so that jumped out at me in 2023 and of course, uh, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, when she announced her mergers and acquisitions leniency policy at the SCCE annual meeting in October, where uh, compliance officers, if you disclose the FCPA violation, you find it an acquisition target within six months of the closing date of that acquisition and you remediate it within a year, then, then you get the presumption to decline. Uh, but again, that's all about making sure that compliance officers are part of the big structural strategic actions at the company so that you can take advantage of these time windows. If they bring compliance in at the very end of an acquisition, this suddenly becomes impossible or very difficult to meet those kind of windows. So it's all about getting compliance officers involved earlier, and we should like that. No, we should, and I, I think you point out something that's very profound there is that in the past, we've measured the impact of or the risk of FCPA in terms of dollars, but here there's a new calculus, which is really about the impact possibly forcing a fundamental change in the way you do business and the government proactively calling for organizations to start 
changing the way they do business. Um, so that compliance gets involved early often. And then when there are some profound risk areas, it's time to sort of walk away. And, you know, in the Albemarle case, as you point out, it's walk away from third parties. Yeah. Uh, that's likely to have some huge impact. Now, you mentioned something else there, which is the SEC, which often doesn't in the corporate compliance world get the attention that um, it should probably. First, you know, what were the big stories in terms of what the SEC was doing? Um, in, you mentioned FCPA. Any other areas? I know I think uh, cyber's been big. It has, has that been the case? It, that has been the case, is that uh, in, I think it was July, the SEC adopted new rules for expanded disclosure of your cybersecurity risks. So you have to talk about that more in the 10K if you're a publicly traded company. And more prompt disclosure of material cyber events. So when you have a cyber attack, which these days everybody does, and then you decide this attack is material, you then have four days to disclose that in an 8K filing to the SEC, where you have to describe the, uh, I think it's the nature and the timing of it and the material consequences. You know, we expect to lose this much revenue because they shut down our sales system in a ransomware attack, or we expect to pay significant fines for data privacy breaches, things like that, um, which really is going to drive up the importance of doing a good, thorough, and prompt cyber materiality assessment. And that could be tricky because you might have a quantitatively material attack. That's easy to figure out. You know, we knocked our sales offline for four weeks, so we missed a month's worth of revenue. That's going to be material. But a qualitatively material event, what would that look like? And we have seen this from other regulators who have said, Yes, you company, you had a minor data privacy breach, but it happened because your employees have now fallen for a phishing attack four times in 12 months. Clearly, your cyber training stinks, and that's a qualitatively material risk, and you have to disclose it, or that's a material thing you should have thought of. Here's your big fine. We're going to see more and more of those challenges in trying to figure out what are we supposed to disclose here? And a lot of cyber risks and the material cyber incident, and we're still iffy on exactly what that is. Well, it'll also be interesting to see if we start learning about a lot more of these breaches with the requirement to disclose. Now, anything else on the SEC front? Uh, the SEC has talked a lot about uh, the greenhouse gas disclosures, and we could even talk about that for what might be coming in 2024. But uh, I started the year thinking that they would have the, a final version of their greenhouse gas disclosure rule done. I am ending the year without the SEC doing that. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, they announced that they are giving themselves now until April 2024 to publish an actual greenhouse gas disclosure rule. Um, it is the longest rule ever proposed in SEC history. It is the most commented upon rule in SEC history. Uh, it is enormously complicated. A lot of businesses are very ambivalent about the idea of reporting your scope three emissions, which come from your supply chain. How would you figure that out? How would you test it? 
Um, even scope one and two, which is your own direct emissions or emissions from the power that you buy from the power plant, you, you can figure those out. It's not easy. Um, but on the other hand, I also think that events are now moving past the SEC anyways. Europe has its own greenhouse gas disclosure rule. California has its own greenhouse gas disclosure rule. Both of those are coming down the railroad regardless of the SEC. So I do think we'll see one in 2024. I am no longer sure I care because large companies, you're going to do this. You're going to do it because the SEC tells you or California or Europe or your investors, somebody somewhere is going to make your company do this. And that will have implications for compliance. But this is an idea whose time has, I think, arrived. Now, let's switch over to the healthcare side of things. Um, anything that you think is big notable developments from 2023? Uh, I am astounded and pleased by the Department of Health and Human Services when the Office of Inspector General released its guidelines, I guess not guidance, guidelines for an effective compliance program for healthcare, where they expressly said that the chief compliance officer should be independent they should not report to the legal department. They should not give legal advice. They should not report to the finance department. They should not do other healthcare things such as coding or billing or um, other issues like that. The guidelines specifically said, I think I can quote from memory, the primary job of the compliance officer whenever possible should be running the compliance program. So there's this very bold declaration of independence for CCOs that uh, I think is good. I am not sure exactly how surprising it is because I think for healthcare, there's been a lot of push along those lines, but this is the first time we've seen it flat out said. Um, I don't think that there's any other regulator that has gone as far for CCO independence as the healthcare regulators have. Um, the Justice Department says they like autonomy but they've never actually put in a guidance document, don't make your CCO the general counsel. I'm not sure how widespread it's going to be, but it is a clear flag planted unapologetically for CCO independence. So we've looked back at 2023, uh, looking into your crystal ball for 2024. What do you think the big stories are gonna be? I have a couple here and I'll try and whip through them quickly. So first, at the in mid-December, we saw passage in Congress of the Foreign Extortion Prevention Act. And that's going to be a, basically a companion law to the FCPA. The FIPA, I guess that's what we're going to call it now, that makes it a crime for foreign government officials to solicit bribes from US persons or companies. Um, so my big question is, how will the existence of FIPA and its enforcement against foreign officials affect FCPA compliance and what compliance officers do there. I'll give you a quick example is that for years, the Justice Department has said, if you company with an FCPA problem want a declination, then you have to cooperate with us to hold all individuals accountable. Does that mean now yet that includes the foreign government officials who hit you up for the bribes? Um, would you need to have employees be willing to testify? Um, would your FCPA resolution be paused until the FIPA indictment comes to pass, if it does? 
Um, would you want to start tracking the number of foreign officials who actually do solicit bribes, even if you don't pay them? But now you might want to know that. So at least you have a bargaining chip with Justice Department, maybe on some other thing. Um, we don't know the answers to those questions. And ultimately, the answers will come from the Justice Department and general counsels and outside counsels. But compliance officers are going to need front row seats with your notebooks out to see what are they saying, because those answers will affect your FCPA compliance program. So that's number one is FIPA. Number two is something from the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, the PCAOB, which regulates audit firms. So last summer, they proposed something called the NOCLAR proposal, which is non-compliance with laws and regulations that will basically make audit firms um, act almost as shadow compliance functions because audit firms would need to go to their client companies and look for and investigate any compliance or legal failures that, quote, could have a material effect on the company. Well, what does that mean? Are they going to go and do their own compliance risk assessment? Because I thought that was the chief compliance officer's job. Um, what if they come to a different conclusion about a material compliance issue than you do? And one of the big sticky things is that the audit firm is supposed to go to the internal auditor and ask, are you aware of any legal or compliance failures? Well, number one, right now, they don't ask the chief compliance officer that. That's not in the proposed rule. Um, so that doesn't make sense to me. But even if they do ask you or the internal auditor, how do you answer this question? Because if you know about one and you say, oh yeah, we got a big problem we're trying to clean up. If you tell that to the audit firm, your general counsel will probably take you out to the parking lot and have you hanged as an example of what happens when you disclose material events to an outside party. It's a terrible idea. But do you say no, because then you're lying to the auditor? Another terrible idea. Or what if you don't know about one, but then the audit firm finds one, they have to report that to the board. And now you, the compliance officer, look like a fool to the board. Not a good situation. This is a very controversial proposal. A lot of audit firms don't think it's a good idea. A lot of audit committees don't think it's a good idea. The final text of this should arrive in 2024. I don't know what it's going to look like, but again, we will have to watch that closely. It could be a significant thing. Um, and Adam, I have one more that is on my radar screen. This is a court case that is winding its way through the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York called SEC v. Goville, where in October, a three-judge appellate panel said, the SEC does not have power for disgorgement of ill-gotten profits in a case that doesn't have any obvious harm to investors. Think about what that means. In most FCPA cases, investors don't suffer the harm. There are a lot of people who suffer harm in an FCPA case, and we could talk about that for hours if we wanted. But this appellate court said, no, there's no apparent harm to investors, so you don't get to disgorge the profits. So therefore, how's that going to work with cases such as insider trading, which is what this actual court case is about, but it applies equally to the FCPA and several other cases of misconduct where if the SEC loses power to get disgorgement of profits, 
won't that give a company incentive to get as many ill-gotten profits as possible? Because if you are going to wind up with an enforcement action, but you can keep the money, you might as well make a killing on it first and then pay the legal fees or something like that. It's a messy case. The Justice Department or in the SEC have asked the appellate panel to please rehear this, and I think they will. It is a different circuit has reached a different conclusion that yes, you can get disgorgement. So now we have a split. It's probably going to go to the Supreme Court. This is a big, messy thing, but I do think that if the court finds that the SEC doesn't get disgorgement power for cases like FCPA, then what are we doing here, people? Because companies very cynically could say we have great incentive to make a lot of profit off of an FCPA or insider trading. I, I have a lot of problems with this case. It could be a significant thing. So those are three I have right there. I think it's going to be a very interesting 2024. Well, Matt, thanks for sharing these uh, insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and ATCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.